Look. Josephine? Yes. Josephine? Yes, here. Is there a reason you stopped reading? I'm sorry. You mind yourself, dearie. Someday you'll need me, and you'll wish you had behaved better. Thank you, Aunt March, for your employment and your many kindnesses, but I intend to make my own way in the world. No, no one makes their own way. Least of all a woman. You'll need to marry well. But you are not married, Aunt March. Well, that's because I'm rich, and I made sure to keep hold of my money. Well, so the only way to be an unmarried woman is to be rich? Yes. But there are precious few ways for women to make money. That's not true. You could run a cat house or go on the stage. Practically the same thing. Other than that, you're right. Precious few ways for women. That's why you should heed me. Yeah, so I can get married. No, so you can live a better life than your poor mother has. But Marmy loves her life. You don't know what she loves. Your father cared more about educating Friedman's children than he did about caring for his own family. Yes, but he was right. Well, it's possible to be right and foolish. Well, I don't think so. You've landed on The Substance. We're a podcast aiming at being biblical, thoughtful, and human. Join us each week as we engage the culture without the culture war. I'm your host, Trevor Aiken, and I'm joined today with my two co-hosts, Vincent. Hey, what's up? And Philip. Hey, guys. And we have a special Substantive Cinema episode for you guys today. Yeah, we've got uh, Alyssa Wilkinson with us here talking about a 2019's uh, Little Women. Alyssa is a film critic over at Vox. Uh, she's currently also a professor at the King's College in New York City, as well as a host of a Young Adult Movie Ministry podcast. So uh, welcome to The Substance, Alyssa. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So 2019's Little Women, you had very high things to say mm-hmm. about it. You want to talk about your uh, thoughts about it coming up to it? Because you, you have some history with Little Women itself, right? I do. Yeah. I mean, when I was, uh, you know, probably eight or not. I was a very precocious reader as a kid and someone gave me a large heavy book that was um <laughs> all four of the of the March sister novels. So Little Women is um actually set up uh by Louisa May Alcott as two novels. Um hmm. and, but they're usually combined into one and that's what's covered in Little Women. But there there's like a moment in Little Women where you can feel a break between timelines usually, although Greta Gerwig played with it a little bit. Um, and those are two different novels. And then there's two after that, which is after the girls are grown up and, um, Joe opens the school for young boys. And so there's kind of all their adventures and just them kind of becoming adults. So, um, so they were all collected in this one volume and I read it over and over and over again. Um, and then I read all the other things that Louisa May Alcott wrote, which she wrote lots and lots of novels because, like Joe, um, she was trying to support her family with her writing. So she wrote tons and tons of stuff um, that was all very popular. So I read all of those. And then I had the film adaptation from the 90s, um, which is actually a great Christmas movie. <laughs> it is, um, nice. yeah. yeah. Both of them are, although they're kind of unique among Christmas movies for not ending at Christmas. Um, they, you know, Christmas kind of happens, the big Christmas happens in the middle of them. But I watched that one a lot um it was it was one of my favorite movies it was one of the few movies we had because we didn't really have a lot of movies in my house when i was growing up also the soundtrack is really wonderful and i think it's possible it was the first cd i ever bought <laughs> um, which is going way back wow. that tells you a lot about who i was as a teenager so i <laughs> all of that was like floating around um in me and i think if anyone had said they were making a new version when there's not only the one from the 90s, but a whole bunch of other ones from the past, I would have been like, Ugh, we don't need another new one, like do something else. <laughs> but because it was Greta Gerwig, I figured she probably had a similar connection to the material as I did, because um, I think there's a lot about our our We're kind of the same age and um, both sort of bookish nerds. And I was like, mm, I think she's going to know how to do something interesting with this. So 
Um, I went to my first screening of this film, I think, actually on my birthday last year, which I was remembering recently. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. It was a, it was a screening for the Writers Guild, which I'm part of because of my job. And so I went and it was wonderful. It was everything I wanted it to be um, and found a new way into the story that I think emphasizes different things than other adaptations have done. So that was really great. I was very happy about that. And uh, and then I, I think I managed to see it one time um, in addition before I had to review it, which I don't always get to do. Um, but I was very happy about that. And I think Greta is a bit of a genius. <laughs> I, I, I tend to agree. Um, before we get too far, I do want to let the listeners know here that this will be a, a spoiler episode. Yep. Um, this is the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh edition of the film. Novel came out a long time ago. Yeah. But just in mm-hmm. case you were hoping to not have anything spoiled for you, go ahead. If you haven't watched it and you care about that sort of stuff, go watch it. Come back and listen to it. But um, we're going to go ahead here. So one of the things in your Vox article that struck me, and and I figured that you had a bit of a history with it when I read this, you said that Little Women didn't need an update. What it needed was a newly attentive eye. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talk a little bit about why Greta Gerwig worked so well with that. Yeah. I mean, so I have... With a few exceptions, I'm opposed to people taking classic works of literature and updating them with giant hmm. air quotes around it, which is... Sure, like bringing s- something old from the modern context, just kind of like yeah. the Romeo plus Juliet kind of deal, right. like well, the so, swords or guns. Yes. So I yes. will say Romeo and plus Juliet is an exception for me because, yeah. you know, they kept the text the same, which is which is mm-hmm. wild in Baz Luhrmann's version. Um, I also think like, I think it's a great movie. Um, they also, you know, Clueless is... Is a is a Jane Austen adap- adaptation. Technically, Bridget Jones' Diary is Pride and Prejudice. So, oh. but all of those do something really, really fresh with the material. And what I didn't want to see mm-hmm. was something where it was basically the same and it was kind of unimaginative. But now they have like, you know, TikToks or something that just sounded awful. Nobody needs that, right? Um, and and people do this all the time. So um, so. What is great about this adaptation, I think, is that it does find a fresh way into an old story. So the novel is told chronologically. It starts with them being young and um, it sort of starts with, the you know, Laurie moving in next door and them being really curious about him. They all becoming friends and it and it moves kind of methodically through their lives and then it jumps some years and then it just keeps going. And that's all great. But that means that when you tell the story of Little Women, it just sort of turns into the story of Joe's weird romances. <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. that's all. And, and Beth dying, because that's the whole narrative tension. There's not like a whole lot else. And it feels a little weird because like Amy marries Lori and like that's kind of odd. Um, and then I never really bought the Professor Bear part. So what I really <laughs> loved about this was, first of all, they cast the correct Professor Bear. Um, and they also, casted everyone phenomenally so perfect. in this edition. Yeah. It's absolutely perfect. And then um, what what Gerwig kind of figured out, I think, or, or just knew instinctively, was that this is really a story about having big dreams kind of romantic dreams for your future and then getting to the future and realizing that that's not how Mm. things really go but that there's still a sweetness to it Mm. and so she does that really beautifully by visually signaling to us that she's jumping between timelines and it doesn't feel like flashbacks so much as the past coexisting with the present which i think Mm -hmm. is very accurate to the way that we experience our lives um, and mm. so I just thought that was so brilliant because it it really changed for me how I even viewed what the novels were about. They're not about nostalgia for your childhood so much as like remembering your childhood and then trying to come to grips with your present, even when the present is very disappointing in love or in career mm. or people die. You know, there's a lot of things that happen. Yeah, I think it's really smart. So one of the things I kept feeling in the film, so I'm a, usually a book guy before I'm the movie guy, but I've seen the movie and I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, am I missing something? What do you think somebody misses? Or I guess alternatively, what does somebody gain if they've 
kind of can compare? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, So what you miss when you don't read the novels, which are just incredibly delightful, um, is you get kind of the texture of their lives. And what you're really reading is the texture of Alcott's life, because the books are entirely based on her own life, although her father was kind of a monster and the father in these is sort of an absent figure. Mm-hmm. Her dad was like this famous reformer guy who was like, big friends with Emerson and Thoreau and all of those guys. But he was also Uh. like kind of a radical and he had these weird ideas about what his family was allowed to do and eat. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So it's interesting that she kind of cuts the dad out of the plot entirely and just leaves Marmee, um, the mother, who is this wonderful, caring, thoughtful and very oddly feminist woman, especially for her time. But that's Mm. that's all factually based um so when you read the novels you get like extra stories and they're they're really funny they're really funny and you get all that period detail and then if you've read the novels and she is making the assumption i think that most people who would go to see this film would have encountered the novels in the past although i know that hasn't always been true especially for for guys you know any movie you remake you would kind of do the same thing it would be it would be odd to to remake, let's say, I don't know, The Godfather and assume that everyone was seeing it for the first time. You, you've got to interact with the source material. But sure, that that's said, yeah. I mean, I think you can pick out the themes from this movie watching it. Um, what I love about it is that she insists that you stay visually engaged with the film in order yeah. to see, you know, even clues about the moods of the characters. They're kind of built into the colors that she uses. Um it's almost as if we're really seeing the whole thing through Joe's eyes. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know if you kind of, if you go back and watch it, you'll notice that the the older stories, um, when they were younger, when the kids were younger, um, are very rosy hued. <laughs> and there's, mm-hmm. there's like yeah. a lot of sunshine. Um, and the stuff that's set in like the present, if you want to call it that, is a little more washed out. It's a little colder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The light is really evident in the beach scenes, I feel mm-hmm. like. Because yeah. the bright, bright the beach, beach like the doesn't look was... like that normally no. unless you've got some sort of color filtering on it. Yeah. Even in New England where beaches yeah. are cold. <laughs> very, very. I, right. grew up, I grew up near there, so I, I know this pretty well. Yeah. But yeah. And so she's like actually visually signaling that way, uh, which I, I just mm-hmm. love. I think that a lot of times we forget that films are not really uh, primarily narrative. They're primarily visual and the narrative is, mm-hmm. you know, secondary mm. You could have a film without a story, but you can't have a film without images. But yeah, I mean, that feeling of kind of growing into your young adulthood and feeling like everything is not the way that you kind of expected it to be is super common. Um, I I brought up before we started recording that the um, that Beth, uh, the fact that she dies is. Uh, actually spoiled in an episode of Friends you know, in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Friends is a show, again, about like growing up, getting to your 20s and being like, wait a second, <laughs> I thought this was all going to go better and now it's not. And I think Little Yeah, Women... that thing that we all experience once we hit a certain age where it's like, man, I can't Adulting wait to grow up. And it's hard. like, oh, now I have bills and yeah. expectations uh-huh. and Where's my I'm responsible caught? for everything yep. and yes exactly. I can do whatever I want mm-hmm. but my life will be very severely affected uh-huh. if I just do whatever I want and I have to pay for yeah. it one way or right. another um, and all of that is really built into this story so before we get into some of the specific things there I just was thinking of the audience I've had some people in my life that I have encouraged to watch this film or who i know watched it and had some trouble mm. with the two timelines the the 61 68 timeline mm-hmm. how'd you encourage somebody that's like like this is kind of a barrier for me to enjoy it like i heard it's it's hard to follow cause... yeah i don't i i don't think it's hard to follow but i think it helps if you go in knowing that you're going to need to pay attention um yeah. and i also think the fact that the past and the present seem to bleed together is very much on purpose like you you shouldn't know instantly where you are in every scene because that's mm-hmm. the whole idea <laughs> it's mimicking the active and it's, viewership mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and on top of it the point of the movie again is that the past kind of haunts our present right like the ghosts of the past are always living in our present and mm-hmm. um, i think about this all the time because i i live in new york city i've lived here 15 years um and in new york 15 in new york years 15 is like 45 somewhere else like yeah restaurants <laughs> come and go you remember that that bagel place 
used to be a Chinese laundry, you know, just like all those kinds of things happen very fast here. Mm. And on top yeah. of it, it's a small, I mean, this sounds silly, but New York is a small town square footage wise. So you can cover sure. it all on foot. Um, and so I walk around thinking about these memories I have of, of being, you know, 22 and in my first job. And then I think about like being... I don't know, 29 and like being in grad school, just all these different memories. Mm. Oh, I used to work in that building. Oh, I remember the time I met a friend there. I remember getting a phone call there. And so that's really present to me all the time. I think about it a lot. And I think this movie pulls that out again and says, look, what happened in the past exists in the present. And I think that's especially important for a book like this, which was written just after the Civil War, but is very intentionally set at first during the war um because you know there is this element of the the war ending and still being there right like the memories of it are still there they their father wasn't hmm. around when they were kids or even in the country at large like those scars don't really heal up so i think alcott is I don't even know if she knows she's doing it but i think she's capturing something about that time and grappling with that as well so i think all of that is embedded in the way that she signals the past and the present to us and she's just asking us to come along for the ride and pay attention you can't look at your phone while you're watching this movie if you want no. to understand it yeah and so i i do uh remember a part of the uh the article that you wrote and i have a quote here you said but pew manages to blow them all away as amy who has to mm. believably pull off Little Women's biggest role character arc, mm -hmm. growing from impudent child to elegant and thoughtful woman, mm -hmm. hundred like man, that's man, so accurate mm -hmm. to her character, and it's relatable because I was super ornery and childish as a kid, and then <laughs> I, I think I've grown burning up, up your brothers, sisters. <laughs> yeah. So Vince, you're Amy. Is that what you're saying? So, I, mean, I, I, I think I, I definitely relate to Amy. So. My question was just like, what scenes from Greta's rendition of this movie lingered in your mind the longest, even after finishing it? Mm, yeah. I mean, one thing I love is that she actually replicates a lot of the scenes that are very familiar if you've watched previous movies or, you know, especially the one from the 90s. She really loved that movie. And mm -hmm. Amy Pascal, I believe, who produced that one, also produced this one. So there's some harmony there. Yeah, she there. did. I thought that was a really cool little behind-the-scenes story. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so there's a lot of harmony there, um, which is why I was so delighted that it didn't just plod through the plot straight ahead, but it, it played with it. But one of my favorite scenes, maybe in literature, is when... Meg and Joe go to the party at Christmas um, and mm. Joe like accidentally burns Meg's hair off at home <laughs> and then um, she in the process burns her own dress and then she you know she like kind of hugs the wall because she doesn't Joe doesn't really want to be there at this party she kind of hates all this stuff whereas Meg is sort of into it um, and Joe doesn't want to show the burn on the back of her dress but more she she likes that she has that excuse and then she kind of backs into a room and and stumbles into Laurie and they become friends at that moment. Yeah. And I loved that this was staged with them dancing on the porch. So that Man, that, that I just great. the exuberance of that scene was really great for me and it, it just looks fun to shoot. Um I think the same thing is true about the scene where they bring their breakfast to the Hummels, these these mm -hmm. poor people. Yeah. Um and they come back and there's this sumptuous feast and Amy's excitement is is always wonderful at that moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know what it was with me like that moment not quite brought me to tears but mm -hmm. like elicited yeah. A very strong emotion yeah. when I rewatched it last <laughs> week like Amy's pure joy cuz she's like it is the right thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I know my mom is is humble and generous and kind, and this is the right thing to do, but I kind of hate it. I hate it. And she uh -huh. gets back, and, like, something out of, like, literally, like, a child's dream is sitting on her table, and, yeah. like, it's just overwhelming, honestly. It's overwhelming for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I also think um, there's the scene where um, Beth finally kind of scares up the courage to come play the piano, and Lori's grandfather sits outside the room listening because he doesn't want to frighten her. 
and crying because it reminds him of his daughter who has mm. passed away. And he's, you know, he doesn't know what's going to happen in the future to Beth. But I think that it's like incredibly moving um, and beautiful. And it just says something about the nature of generosity and who who Beth is and who he is and that. And then I, you know, I specifically picked out Amy when I reviewed it because Amy often is not uh, she's just kind of a annoying character normally. So <laughs> she has all my favorite lines too though like man she's like that little sibling that just yep <laughs> does she, whatever they want completely and so in the version from the 90s she's played by two different actresses and the younger one is actually kirsten dunce it's one of kirsten dunce's earliest <laughs> roles she plays young amy and then she's recast um when she's older uh, which works okay, I guess, but it's it's much wilder to see Florence Pugh pull off both sides of the age equation. I mm-hmm. think Florence Pugh is like the best actress working today. I mean, she's wow, uh, wow. She, she's in Midsummer. Um, she's I first wildly saw, impressive. Yeah, she. I mean, she's great. I I first saw her in a film called Lady Macbeth. She is just deadly in that movie, um, like savage. It's amazing. And she was wow. like, that was like five years ago. A, a incredible film. But she's so good in this. And the character is sort of very gently shaped into a really relatable character. And you start to see that the reason Joe and Amy clash so much is that Amy is a lot like Joe in a lot of ways, but she has mm. very different goals for herself. Um, and she's willing to give up uh, her dreams in a way that Joe ends up doing as well under more duress. But it sort of helps explain why Laurie um, is able to kind of shift his affections um, from one to the other, because he what he loves is the same, um, I think, independent spirit in both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's pretty that's a pretty remarkable and very astute choice. Yeah. Is there a way in which Amy is the sister who gets what she wants in the mm-hmm. end? I think so. Yeah. Like, kind of exclusively. Right. Right. No, I think Joe absolutely does as well, especially in this, for the way it's done. But no, I, I think that's a good observation, Trevor. Yeah. Um, so I do want to get to the other sisters, the less um, loud and boisterous sisters. But mm-hmm. something that I, I saw Meryl Streep, it wasn't in the movie. It was press surrounding the movie. She, she had this quote that landed hard on me because... I'm a big movie guy. I mean, I, I don't watch stuff exclusively with men or exclusively American stuff. Like, I try to be pretty broad in what I watch. But in talking about the importance of this story to her, Meryl Streep said, women have all kinds of practice imagining themselves as men. Kind of talking about pop culture. Men do not have quite as much practice imagining themselves as women. <laughs> and I just thought that was real interesting. Like, I, both times I've watched this movie, and I mean, I grew up with the 94 version to my... My mother loved it. My sister loved it. My wife now really mm-hmm. likes it. So, I mean, I've seen that plenty of times, but this one, and I mean, I, I enjoy it very much, but this one really brought me into the experiences. And I think a lot of that mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. the strength of Greta Gerwig's writing and just kind of the structure, which I guess is also the writing. But I mean, I found myself really relating to and and feeling like fully the thoughts of like kind of all the characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know Meryl Streep's comments were prompted probably by this thing that cropped up when the film came out, which was that, so this is going to detour in some film nerdery, so stick with me here, but... um, We got you. So, you know, obviously the film was being talked about for Oscar consideration, and any movie that has predominantly female casts generally has not fared well um, at the Oscars. Mm. Mm. And there's a... Mm. A reason for it that I won't call a good reason, but there's at least an explanation, um, which is, well, maybe a twofold explanation. One is that movies by and about women have usually been seen as being made for a women audience, like a niche mm. movie. Or, I mean, they were called women's pictures. Um, and so they weren't wow. considered to be like the mainstream like serious movies even though they often were very serious like um, it's like as, classified like with lifetime or something like that yeah or hmm. just well, sure it's how they say like this is a movie for black folks or this is a movie exactly. for children yeah. or like mm-hmm. this isn't the real movie audience this exactly is what you say, like, a this niche. notion that there's like a default audience for movies and that default audience is basically like guys. white and male <laughs> yes um 
And that's that's pretty much a product of Hollywood being invented by white guys who then ran all the studios for decades. And like, that's just what it was. And we tend to think that we are the we're the defaults and everyone else is different than us. So we're as always was, the heroes of our own story. Exactly. And like how many men are reading novels with female heroines? Um, maybe today it's a little different, but I don't know. Like how many how many guys read Anne of Green Gables when they were teenagers is a great question to me. So that all question. is like in the background when this movie started getting floated around uh, to Academy members who are the people who pick the Oscars. Um, and the Academy members are still overwhelmingly male, white, and over 70, which is wow. <laughs> like overwhelmingly, like large majority. <laughs> Even like Congress? Now. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a good reason for that, which is that once you're in the Academy, you don't get kicked out. So, you know, you basically have to die in order to be out of the academy so it just will take a while but in any case what they found were guys were like oh i'm not gonna watch that movie because that's that's like a movie for women and so the cast started talking about this um and i remember tracy letts i believe who who plays who is perfect as this mutton chopped publisher he like wrote a letter basically that was like please would you all get off of your like get unstuck from yourselves and go watch this movie it's amazing (laughs) and yeah so anyhow i think that all of that put aside i think the movie does capture something really distinct about a certain kind of female experience you know of its era um but also feeling pretty timely um which is that feeling i think of like waiting for a lot of women especially at that time it was like you might have your dreams and your ideals but if you dared to go out and try to make them happen you might run into more barriers than your brother would and we get these really independent women uh, who are forced to be independent partly because there's a war going on and they can't fight mm-hmm. in it, but they have to take care of themselves. But, there, you know, there's so much there and there's stuff about being a sister. There's stuff about feeling like, um, you know, you, feeling like you have so many things warring within you. It's, it's a very strong uh, representation of, of being, I think, a young woman, but it also isn't just for young women <laughs> right. just yeah. in the same way that you know we i i would watch a movie with a male protagonist that doesn't seem odd to me right it's funny that the publisher guy who like in the story is getting this book out into the world ended up playing that role in real yes. life <laughs> <laughs> it's true 150 years later in the same kind of mm-hmm. you know dynamics in society i i, I loved the scene setting for his character mm-hmm. he's with the cigar i think he had boxing gloves in the back mm-hmm. like it's just like how manly can we make this yes. like can we just write man in like <laughs> capital letters across this dude's forehead like, i missed the boxing gloves both times but the cigars and the mutton chops were nice <laughs> so funny you know that whole framing device where it's really like joe kind of coming to try and sell this story and then she ends up selling it that's none of that is in well, it's kind of in the book, but it's it's different than the uh, way that um, Ger- Gerwig renders it. And so I kind of love that she managed to turn it into a movie about grabbing your own story and insisting it be told the way you want to tell it. Um, there's something very meta there. Yeah, it's, it's really it was cool. and it was a beautiful bookend for the mm-hmm. film. And I feel mm-hmm. like what, what you were saying, the, the quote I mentioned at the beginning, like Little Women doesn't need updating or mm-hmm. modernizing like. Just that that modern eye mm-hmm. looking at what was already there, mm-hmm. which was in the 1800s, very ahead of its time. It is speaking to mm-hmm. 2019 yeah. and beyond. Yes, mm. she didn't have to make stuff up. I mean, she created that as a, a nice framing device, and I mean, I thought the setup for the ending mm-hmm. was just cinematic perfection. Mm. Yes. Not like it's necessarily the best thing in a movie ever, but like for what. A scene and a buildup and a climax of what a movie is supposed to be, it was like 100 out of 100, like mm-hmm. perfect score. Nice. Yeah. I love that she was able to pick up on something that it's it's implied in the book, but it's not said outright. And of course, she splits the ending into two timelines, which we haven't talked about yet, but that that alone is just a wild and awesome idea. I, I don't know if we've gotten to this, Alyssa, as far as the sister's 
Who do you relate with? Oh, Joe. I was always, always Joe. A little bit of Meg off and on because I'm the oldest in my family and I always felt like I was the one who had to take care of things and make sure that, you know, everything was in order or whatever. But, um, but Joe certainly as a aspiring, sometimes awkward journalist always felt like exactly who I was. (laughs) What about you guys? Well, yeah. So the film to me felt like it was very much told from Joe's point of view. And I don't know if that's the the way the book works too, but Mm -hmm. I felt myself pushing back against that a little bit. (laughs) Initially, I was drawn into it like, oh yeah, go Joe. And then I was like, well, no, wait a second. She does have kind of some of these character flaws that she brings out about herself. I'm like, I found myself being drawn towards Beth, Mm -hmm. the quietness, like not knowing when to assert herself, but like when she does give the gift of her presence, it's so meaningful Mm -hmm. to the whole family. Just the quiet settledness about her life, especially at the end of, you know, being settled with her own death. But the gift that she offers through the beauty of the piano playing, she seems to be the one person that like all the sisters can agree on is Mm -hmm. like their friend, you know, (laughs) the sister that they can love and like get along with at all times. Hey, Beth's never really in conflict with any of the other sisters. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, and even when you get into like, she dies from that act of self-sacrifice, like Uh everybody's too busy, but we still have to care for this family and I'm going to go do it. If nobody else does it, I'm just Mm going to go do it. Mm -hmm. And man, I felt like team Beth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which I, I don't know if I ever put that together, but the last time I watched it, really having that finally become clear to me, like, oh, like she got sick because mm-hmm. she was serving that family mm-hmm. yeah. and just kind of what that says about her as a person. I mean, yeah. Alyssa mentioned it earlier, every time, like just kind of thinking about that scene where she plays the piano and Chris Cooper's just standing there on the stairs just like listening and kind of remembering and going through all that like that's that's just so touching and i think i just realized something right now the relationship and the role she plays in joe's life she is the cold splash of water Mm -hmm. in the face of reality on joe in a way you know Mm -hmm. god's will but you haven't seen joe's will line (laughs) sure that plays out and she's like <laughs> which i very much yeah. kind of relate with <laughs> and Joe like, on that one a bit she's and when beth is like it's like the tide going out and she's like i'm gonna stop the tide from going out and it's like <laughs> what a foolish thing to think but like so kind of like you're in my relationship over the years yeah i love that I, I love that role she plays of just like i love the ambition of joe but also just the reality and life is what it is and we have to do the best. And like Beth is kind of that for Joe and mm-hmm. like helps her integrate that lesson, I feel like. Yeah, very yeah. much And so. I think Joe is definitely relatable. But like I said earlier, Amy is probably the character that I like most connected with. Just to see mm-hmm. her growth over time and her maturity over time and her thoughtfulness over time and seeing that, like you said, with those two timelines, just kind of interplaying with the past. And it, just to see that, that transition and that growth was, was really like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. You know, not, not a one for one, of course, but still it's like, yeah, I get that process. And so I think mm. Amy was, was definitely, she, she did a great job in just who she was and, and her progress over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Florence Pugh is definitely the most fun to so, kind of watch. Yeah. It's yeah. hilarious when she was outside of Timothy Chalamet's window just because she was afraid to go home because she drew the picture of her teacher and got like in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I got like the prettiest feet in my family. She's just yeah. like so <laughs> great. spunky and like not caring. But then how she kind of transitions to still having dreams, but being very pragmatic about them. And I mean, if you read it with too much of a sociological lens, like he can kind of seem preachy, but where she's talking with Laurie in Paris, don't tell me that marriage isn't an economic proposition. Mm -hmm. Like it's maybe not for you, like a man in this world, but for me it is. So yeah, love is great. I'd love to have that, but I also want to have a future, Mm -hmm. just a really wonderful journey to Mm -hmm. watch. And then, and I don't even feel like it was cheating how they did kind of all get to have it all Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a way. Mm. So it still is feel good. And if we want to kind of transition to, um, talk about the two timelines of that yeah so there's a you know there's a point at which the movie splits into two timelines near the end so what part of what i love about this is that for everyone who grew up with these books and the movie the ending has always felt a little 
off. <laughs> like you weren't really sure why Joe ends up with this random German professor guy. Um, cause, because <laughs> he's not a very well fleshed out character in the book. He's sort of hurriedly introduced and then they fight and then he comes after her and then and then she like decides to marry him. And it's very like, uh, like this doesn't seem... We've spent so many pages building up this Joe and Lori relationship, and then this is just like, well, that seems good. <laughs> so, so Greta completely solved the problem the way she came up with the this, which is to say, oh. Joe is writing this story, and she's she's like gonna tweak the ending a little bit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's not the real ending, um, but it is hmm. the the storybook ending, um, and it's the storybook ending where she gets to open this school and you know has this sort of relationship and and this is actually what happens in the novel but you know the whole thing with like running after him at the train station and like kissing him under an umbrella and all that stuff she the the book this movie is tacitly admitting that like that's not the real end of the story um that that's (laughs) like the storybook end of the story that you add so that it sells more copies and there's a practicality aspect to that right because joe really does need to sell the book mm-hmm. <laughs> like she <laughs> she needs money and there's a thing that happens in when she's sort of talking to professor bear early on when they first meet when she's in new york and he's like you know these stories are trash <laughs> she's like yes. you know, Straight up. and he's like how she says how you know how dare you and he's like well you know it's it's fine but like why aren't you writing from your heart and she's basically like because i gotta get some money here for my family Straight up. and yeah. this is what people buy and so this is kind of her way of being okay with that while also telling a true story that's truer to her um, and I just love that that I once I realized that was happening in the film, I got really excited because it is a departure from any way this story has been told. It's technically a departure from the text, but I think it's very true to the subtext and it helps solve the problem of the book uh, outright, mm. which is which is lovely. Like you said, the way it's structured, Greta Gerwig also solved that problem a little bit for the film goers. Mm-hmm. They got to see Professor Bear first. Yes. Before they saw Lori. So she kind of planted the seeds already so that by the time you get there to the end, it's not like, who's this guy that she's interacted with once? Mm -hmm. So you're kind of primed already to, ooh, like these two might be a thing. Yeah, exactly. And they cast Louis Garrel, who's like a young, stud, handsome guy (laughs) who's who's an actual movie star. And I mean, Gabriel Byrne is a handsome man as well from the 90s one, but he's also like way older than Winona Ryder and <laughs> very much I was like I guess he was kind of handsome but he was he was not a not a young man yeah, yeah. he's kind of a weird <laughs> older guy and so it just so you know amplifies this... the weirdness <laughs> <laughs> I mean he's you know he just you can understand if he thought if she thought he was a little creepy you would understand that whereas in this case yeah it's it's a little bit of liberty with the text because Professor Bear is actually quite a bit older than Joe um in the book um, but, you know, Louisa never married um, and she wrote and she taught and that was what she did. And so she had kind of invented what would be her stable person that she would marry if she was Joe, um, which indeed she is Joe. And she came up with someone who was exactly the opposite of her father in some ways and very similar to him in other ways. Mm. Her, her father was an educator. He was a very, you know he read a lot all of those things but he was also not like a kind of worldly wise european who was content to let his wife pursue her her interests so the movie is telling me that it is selling me an ending that i'm going to like and then i got just that but like in a way the real ending is the true story of yes. louisa may alcott's life where mm-hmm. it's like she never marries mm-hmm. and kind of lives that the thing that joe always talks about doing and so what you see in the movie is kind of the fictional tale but in a way the true tale is just louisa may alcott's life yes yes i think it does a really good job of doing that and as i recall in the book joe does write a book called little women and it is their story from when they were growing up and it sells pretty well and it allows them to live comfortably and open this school so all of that stuff happens in the book which is a real interesting meta commentary (laughs) when you have your character writing the book um but yeah that's that's kind of the implication here which is that Actually, the real story was not all 
kind of like kisses in the in the rain and like a happy ending but it was a happy ending of its own yeah i mean she kind of gets the three-way happy ending right like Mm -hmm. she gets the kiss in the rain she gets the book published and she gets to kind of support her family and get to do what she is best at yeah and then on top of that she gets to open the school and have her whole family and it's it's just a wonderful film yeah yeah and we're watching two timelines i mean these are not happening to the same people but she's created both worlds um i yeah i love a meta i love a meta story i love when the narrator um is a little bit unreliable on purpose i guess and that's that's what the movie does so so well this is jumping around but i love the conversation that joe and marmy have Mm. about love mm-hmm. she just keeps Oof. getting the question like do you do you love him though mm-hmm. and there was a line in there that like she said that she cared more to be loved in response to the question do you love him i care more to be loved and she said that's not the same as loving yeah because Lori right. did love her and she's like man i'm missing out on this guy who really mm-hmm. valued me i don't have anybody who values me right now at this moment man i'm feeling the pressures of adulthood and life and my sister who's kind of the the moral rock. She's just kind of feeling like lost and floating. And that's super relatable to uh, most people when they enter into adulthood. They're like, man, how am I going to navigate this? Well, and you do slightly get the feeling that um, that is what Marmy did. Um, There's not a lot of interaction between the, the two parents in this movie and the father played by Bob Odenkirk. Which I was is shocked just... when Bob Odenkirk came in the first time. I, I did not know I that thought was he was going to be dead for yeah, sure. Me too. Like, yeah. I, you know, I, I was totally new to the story. No, I, I was talking about that. It was Bob Odenkirk. No. I, I did not know he was going to be. I, I didn't know he was playing the dad. Was be dead. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the the surprise um, that he's brought back, and then he really doesn't do a lot. They're at dinner, right? And that was and, hilarious. Yeah, and he says something, and she sort of she sort of digs at him. Yeah, and you you get the sense from that and other things she said that first of all we know that she sees herself most in Joe, and Joe is like shocked by this because she's like, "You're so patient, you're so good. Mm. I'm not any of those things." I love and that. That was so good. Yeah, and she's like, "Well, it, you know, it didn't come easily." Um, but she also clearly, or maybe not clearly, but very possibly went through the same experience that that joe has where she you know wasn't sure if she loved this man but she knew he loved her and so she married him and um she's trying to advise joe to do the thing that is best for her without saying like don't don't fall into this and the only reason i think that reading is possible is because it is definitely what happened to alcott's parents so Mm. there's you know there's that kind of tension and it's difficult because this is at a time where like life is hard especially if you're a woman if you don't have money as aunt march says like the only reason she didn't have to marry is because she had a lot of money Mm. (laughs) so all of those things are true it's not like romance is is the central or only reason as amy says that a woman would get married but it it certainly it it gives a woman a kind of dignity um, to be able to make that choice I thought the the one that stuck out to me on that was the But I'm So Lonely. And I believe that was like a yeah. written the day of. Yeah. That which was, Greta was Gerwig crazy. was not trying to undercut the, I don't know if you want to call it like the, the feministic themes mm-hmm. or whatever, but just the genuine reality of, yeah. Right. Like Joe wants to be her own woman, but she is also a woman. She's also a human person mm-hmm. with, with feelings. She doesn't want to be alone. She mm-hmm. does want to do things her way, but like weighing that up against being alone, like she's she's conflicted. Yeah. Yeah, and she comes very close to basically settling for what she doesn't think is going to make her happy, but because it will be better than what she's living with now. And then she is saved from it, <laughs> um, but not not through her own doing, right? Like it's it. She's just a little too late, and it turns out to be the right the right thing for her. Um, yeah, it's it is relatable is a good way to put it. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked a lot about the past and the present as the film kind of played with that timeline and it brings mm-hmm. up the question, what, what would you say the film says about past and present opportunities available to women? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, <laughs> I mean, it's obvious that part of what it says is just that money ha- is and always has been a big factor here. Mm. Um, and that if you had money, 
and you can go way back in history and see this, like a wealthy woman was often somewhat exempt from the strictures that are around women who aren't wealthy because so much of you know wealth is something that generally belongs to men generally is passed down among you know fathers to sons and women only kind of stumble into the wealth if things go oddly <laughs> somewhere in mm-hmm. the family um and that's why aunt march is in this story i think to to serve as a contrast to the March sisters and what the March sisters have to do. And, you know, their next door neighbors are fabulously wealthy. Right. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. the, right. you know, Aunt yeah, they're kind of right in between like, like the fabulously wealthy and the, the deeply poor. Yeah. On kind of both sides of them. And they are they are just kind of making it. <laughs> the Marches are like they're they're not poor like the Hummels, but they are not wealthy you know, like Lori's family is, um, or like Aunt March's, um, even though that money is around. And it's a very, it's kind of a very American story in that way, I think, that everyone's mm-hmm. super relatable, yeah. All thrown together in, in Concord. And I've been in that house. Um, you know, they shoot at Orchard House, which is where Alcott grew up, and they did the oh, same wow. thing for the 90s one. Um, it's in Concord. It's it's a nice house. I mean, I, you know, I live in a small New York apartment. Uh, (laughs) It seems great, but it's not fancy um, by any means. So I think that that's such a big part of this story is coming to grips with like, what, what do we have to do and what do we have to accept because of the lot that has fallen to us? And is there a way to escape it? Is that something we should even try to do? You know, Amy marries into wealth um, by the end of it, whereas Meg marries a poor school teacher who is worried that she will be unhappy because they don't have the money um, that her friends have. Um, So that's all throughout this book, even just backing way up to when Meg goes to the socialite ball and the girls dress her up Mm -hmm. because she doesn't have a dress. Um, It's just Mm -hmm. very, very present. So I think that's a lot of it. I, you know, some of that maybe has changed, but some of it has not changed um, today. Mm -hmm. And there's still lots of reasons that a woman um, alone without money is going to be in a less, uh, less great situation than a man would in the same situation. But then that's really coupled with the practicality of making a living you know, do I have to work? How will I have to work? What does that mean? And romance is so secondary in some ways to this story because it's so shot through with those questions about hmm. wealth and, and work. Mm-hmm. And I think that really comes through in this. And it also makes it feel different from a lot of women's stories, um, which are often a little more about romance hmm. than, than a book like this. Yeah, absolutely. As we're wrapping up here, there's one thing our show, we, we try to look at things really as when we're looking at a film, trying to look at what, what are the truths here? What, what are the things mm-hmm. of value, truths about society or, or eternal things even potentially? So coming from a, a background and a position of faith, definitely somebody who is a, a professor and a film critic, you do this for a living. You engage with art. Just talk a little bit about how would you encourage folks who are people of faith who want to be faithful in their faith, Mm -hmm. but also who maybe have trouble or desire to interact well Mm. with things of art, whether they be film, literature, what have you, in meaningful ways without, quote unquote, like feeling like they're compromising. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is always a big question. And I always preface my answer by saying that this is... It's not really an answer about Little Women. This is just about films in general. That There's no like rule that everyone has to watch every movie. Um, And I think there's Mm. plenteous reasons that some people don't, you know, that choose not to watch some movies. Um, I think of like, if you've been assaulted in some way, um, then you may choose not to watch movies in which assault occurs Mm. because of what it brings up for you. That makes sense to me. That's, That's fine. That's normal. We shouldn't judge people for that. On the flip side, so before I went to Vox, I was the film critic at Christianity Today for years, and for years Mm -hmm. before that, I wrote for World Magazine. I'm very familiar with writing about film for a Christian audience, and I would say that um, some pushback I got was from people who were like, I don't think you should ever watch this thing, and I don't think any Christian should ever watch this thing, and okay, if you feel like that, I respect that. I also think that we discount the idea of discernment for our individual communities and us as individuals as well. But I think the bigger issue that I used to run into a lot 
was that people are are really, really fearful in how they interact with culture um, in a way that makes me think they don't actually trust the Bible <laughs> when it says mm, that, you know, what we bring we'll into ourselves that. isn't what dirties us, it's what comes out of us. Um, and the idea that, like, maybe the Holy Spirit isn't actually sufficient to all of the things that the Holy Spirit ought to do for us. Um, so obviously there are things you might choose not to engage with, but I think we often say like, oh, there's too too much objectionable content in this, whatever that might mean for us. Or uh, another one I will get is like, well, it's just so, it's such a downer or it's so dark. And like, shouldn't we only be thinking about like, you know, inspirational or happy stories? Trevor hates True Grit because it's about revenge. We talked about that <laughs> oh. before. <laughs> well, so, but I mean, so here's the thing, just, right? I don't like, like evil, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's fine. I, mean, I don't want, and we should all obey our consciences. E yes. Substance, like disclaimer. We it, should all obey our consciences, yes. but we should and be I watched the discerning film. and we should be thoughtful. I watched the film. I just didn't love it. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, well, bud. I think that's fine, right? Like we can watch movies and be like, eh, I didn't enjoy that for X, Y, and Z reasons. But, I, you know, there are kind of like two versions of this that I push back on. One is people who say, I don't like that because it makes me feel bad. Um, and I would say sometimes maybe we should feel bad. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I think that can be good for us, right? Yeah. Like, there's a place for lament sure. to exist in a Christian mm -hmm. life. So that's sure. okay. Right. And also yeah. for being shaken out of our complacency. I mean, a lot of film mm -hmm. exists to show us things that it's we art. otherwise can close our eyes to, um, whether sure. it's the way people live um, or like you know, horrible things that happen in the world or just what it is like to live life in someone else's shoes. Mm. Yeah, the whole empathy machine, like they, they help us live for. Yeah. And that's what little women, like I've never been a woman in the 1800s, but like I, <laughs> I felt those things deeply as I engaged with the film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. And then, you know, I also found, and this is um, not unique to a Christian audience, but it is something that was very pervasive in a Christian audience, was that people didn't want to, didn't really want to work when they were watching mm -hmm. a movie, whether that meant reading yep. subtitles uh -huh, yeah. or watching something that was kind of challenging or maybe it's like long. So I it's ran into film this. film is entertainment mode. Like they yes. only see film. It's not art. It's just amuse me for an hour fun. or two. Action movies are fun, but that's not the same thing as going to interact with, mm -hmm. yeah. with right. the story to be. And not everything exists to amuse you. Sure. Right. Right. And especially if we're seeking to be faithful as Christians, like mm -hmm. uh, called to be salt and light, called to yeah. be re renewing our minds, like we, we should be active in the mm. things that yeah. we engage in. I wonder if that says something about the ministries mm -hmm. that and Christians tend to be a part of, too. For like, sure. <laughs> is that what we're getting on Sunday? Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's yeah, a topic no, probably for I, a different episode. <laughs> I agree. And I, I bumped into this just even talking about the Irishman with people last year, which probably was the most religiously significant movie that came out last year it was incredible it totally mm. was and you get to the end of it and it's just completely Golly. devastating and it was funny to watch people be like oh i don't watch martin scorsese's gangster movies because they glorify violence and i was like well, i don't even know what movie you were watching if you think that's what the <laughs> well, irishman is about and i mean i don't want to get off on the irishman tangent i'm trying to <laughs> convince trevor and vince to do that down the line here in the pantheon of Martin Scorsese, especially to complain about the Irishman. Yes. I think that you can appropriately and accurately lob the complaint of he's glorifying certain wickedness in various other projects. The whole point of the Irishman is the opposite of that. Right. Mm. Well, yeah, I don't know if he ever glorifies it, to be perfectly honest. But I think from the Irishman, he's taking a look back at the past and the movies he's made. I mean, it is Goodfellas for like half the movie. Well, and that's what I, like I grew up, my grandparents immigrated from Italy and I've got, I got a big, big time. I grew up watching Goodfellas and I loved it. And like, <laughs> I low key, like, was like, that looks kind of awesome. Like I want to honor the Lord, but that life looks pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> of course, like... the, that's that, that would require missing the ending of the film, which is a pretty sure. normal thing that I think people no, 100%, run into, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't want to end mean, up like Henry. Just to cite another Scorsese movie, you know, Silence is possibly the most Christian movie that's been made in the last half century. Mm. I mean, it's an incredible film. I have it's like pulling teeth to get anyone to watch that movie. And um really? and the answer I get is like, oh, it's so brutal. And yeah, it is really? brutal because it's about martyrs, right? Uh, like 
Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's okay. Like, where, when did we become so soft? I don't, I don't know the answer to this, but, but yeah. So I think for me, yeah. a lot of what's important when we're, if we're Christians and we want to watch movies, is not to sit around like, you know, Jesus juking. How them. many cusses we got, and what does this tell us about exactly. justification mm-hmm. by faith? The yes. curse counting. Yep. <laughs> yep. But instead, to say, okay, well, what would it look like if? I was loving my neighbor through Mm. my choices. Um, And what would it look like if I was adventuresome and I was courageous and I was trusting the Holy Spirit as I, as I watch films, which, you know, might lead us down different paths than we might expect. Yeah. And it it, it gives the opportunity to not move in fear because if we're doing Mm -hmm. it in fear, then Romans 14 says it's equal to sin. And so mm-hmm. we, we don't need to operate in fear. We are not given that spirit, but we do like we do listen to our conscience. And if we if we're mm-hmm. saying, OK, I've prayed about this and I don't see much merit for me to particularly watch X, Y or Z film, it's like, OK, mm-hmm. until until you can do that. In 100%. Faith, yeah. Don't don't Absolutely. watch it. But. If it's from the motivation that, you know, ooh, I went to the Christian, you know, website or I had a Christian friend <laughs> who just said it was it was so <laughs> terrible. And it's like, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, OK, but for real? <laughs> right, no, there, there's right. a difference between what can I put in front of the eyes of my eight to 12 year old yes. versus what do I as an adult interact with legitimately and thoughtfully as yes. an eternal being? Yeah, right. Right. And what do I, what do I, hmm, I think a word I use is hospitable. Like how, how Mm. hospitable can I be to the art? How can I recognize that, um, you know, all respect to superhero movies, they are basically made by giant companies that want to take your money. But there's a lot of movies that aren't that. They're kind of labors mm-hmm. of love, mm-hmm. you know, from filmmakers who pour their entire lives into making a, a particular film. Um, and they're trying to give you a gift. And maybe we should think twice before saying like, no, I can't unwrap that gift. It might be bad for me. Yeah. Mm. absolutely that's a great way of putting it and and that's how i think about music sometimes is Mm. you have those you know bigger companies who just kind of produce run-of-the-mill songs to just get Mm -hmm. you to you know download the music or whatever yeah just get a hit exactly and then you have other who who's on the independent side and they're not they're not sponsored heavily they're not paid heavily but they love the art and they love creating something that allows you to feel something you wouldn't normally feel if you just turned on a regular album Mm -hmm. and so i i think like you said we need to we as christians should be more ambitious Mm -hmm. to to see what's out there and again you listening to the holy spirit like you said believing what the word says and then going from there yeah and it might Mm. not it might end up that you watch it and you're like well that wasn't for me or wow there was some stuff in there that i really disagree with or whatever but that's fine it doesn't it's not going to hurt you i (laughs) engaging thoughtfully with a movie you're watching is not going to harm you i i on our podcast we were talking about an old episode of the focus on the family show mcgee and me both of us remember where nick our little protagonist who's like 10 i think he sneaks (laughs) Uh out he goes to an r-rated movie called night of the blood freaks and he's sort of horrified and he comes home and his parents are like what have you done nick and then nick's like i went to the movie i'm so sorry and they're like you can never get those images out of your head you are permanently damaged and i was like Ooh, Dang. you know what? That might not actually be the most Christian way to think about this <laughs> at all. Wow. But I think we we get that idea in our head that like this will do, this will dirty me and I'll be sinful or something. And it's like, well, no, that's not. You know, is that going to happen if you go out and see those things in real life? No, right? So, um, mm. so I I think you know there's a lot for us to to chew on there. Sure, absolutely. Well, Alyssa, thanks so much. This has been. Awesome, awesome conversation. Before you go, one thing that we'd love to ask all our guests is what are some, whether it's books, movies, podcasts, music that you've just been enjoying in your life right now and wanted to maybe give a shout out for? Yeah. Um, <laughs> my life is just like a flood of taking these things in because I have to write about them. So I've been seeing a bunch of really stellar films. So I'll recommend a couple of those. One is 
a movie coming out December 18th on Netflix uh, called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Oh, nice. It stars Viola Davis as this woman who was a real life jazz singer who was kind of a, a diva, but kind of an amazing woman. And she's coming to this recording session and there's bands waiting for her. And the trumpeter in the band is played by Chadwick Boseman. It's his last role. Um, of course, he played Black Panther, and he passed away earlier this year. Mm. Um, he's really phenomenal. It's a great, great movie um, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, August Wilson is probably one of the best-known Black American playwrights. There's a, a whole kind of thread running through it where Bozeman's character is, he's a very peppy and optimistic person, but he's kind of been beaten down by life, predominantly through some of the stuff that going on at the time for um, black Americans who migrated north during the Great Migration. Um, so it's the 1930s. And he he's questioning why a god would let this happen. And it's very mm. powerful. I would definitely recommend that for people to watch. That movie was really good. And also there's a documentary that's out that's making the rounds called Mayor that I would super recommend to people. Like if you think if you hear a documentary and you think like talking heads or like a Ken Burns thing with like photos that are all being panned over on PBS. 100 minutes long. Um, <laughs> this is not that. This is a, a tight observational um maybe 90 minute film about the mayor of ramallah which is um sort of the de facto capital of palestine and it's surrounded by israeli settlements and he is just trying to do his job <laughs> through this whole documentary um which is to be the mayor of this city but because of where he is and where he's positioned there are all these geopolitical implications about his work. Um, it's really funny. It's a little bit, it reminded me of Veep, if like the people in Veep were good people. Uh -huh. So it has some well, of the same nice. kind of humor. It's great. <laughs> yeah, so I would really recommend that one too, um, Mayor. Great, great, great film. It's kind of playing in like virtual cinemas, which means you can you can rent it from a local theater for 48 hours and the money goes to help support the theater. And of course, all the theaters are struggling right now. So it's a good thing to do. Sure. And then there's just one <laughs> book that I kind of can't get out of my head, which is um, Lydia Millet's novel, A Children's Bible. So I was assigned to read this uh, at work because we write about every National Book Award nominated book. And this was the one that I got. Um, it's not very long and it's kind of a fable sort of about generational conflict it's sort of about trying to survive an apocalypse which is like you know every novel this year feels like it's about that but it's also one of those books that feels like it has a lot of easter eggs for people who are familiar with the bible um because it kind of through a fable means follows the arc of the bible so if you've read the Bible, uh, the novel has like an extra layer for you. Um, it's it's not hidden. I mean, the name of the book is the Children's Bible, but um, it's extra <laughs> good that way. And I think I read it in two sittings. It's a really short book. So oh, I would wow. definitely recommend that if you're looking for a good read. That is fantastic. Awesome. I'm adding that to my list right now here. <laughs> I think we're all doing good. that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks, Alyssa, for joining us today here. We super appreciate your time and um, look forward to uh, getting this out to our audience. Where can uh, where can folks find you? Um, so I am uh, everything I write is published at Vox.com right now, Vox with a V. And I tweet a bunch. So that's a pretty easy place to find me, which is my handle is Alyssa Marie. Um, and then if you want a kind of freewheeling cheeky probably occasionally mildly sacrilegious uh examination of christianity and a movie i have a podcast that i am half of called young adult movie ministry which is a bit of a joke um maybe an inside <laughs> joke even <laughs> I, I, I was amused by it yes. when i saw it i, I appreciated we the joke yes so we um we chat about you know some movie it's it's very informal and we we have a good time doing it so you can find that um I believe at youngadultmovieministry.com. And I can uh, I can definitely co-sign that. I, I haven't listened to them all, but I really appreciated. We already mentioned that the silence episode, and mm. then I think the most recent one, unless you've published one in the last couple of days, uh, Bebet's Feast, really mm -hmm. enjoyed that one as well. Yeah, we have a bunch of Christmas episodes coming that we're in the process of recording, so they'll all be coming out soon. But Well, excellent. Well, we, we're glad to have you on for our December uh, Substantive Cinema Show, and uh, yeah, look forward to uh, seeing what you got uh, coming down the pipe here in the future. Well, thanks so much. It was a, it was a pleasure to revisit this film. Thanks for joining us tonight.
Well, guys, that was our conversation about Little Women with Alyssa Wilkinson. There were so many great thoughts shared during that conversation. So if something got you thinking, go ahead and send that, text it, post it. And when you do, tell the folks that you're talking to that you were spurred on by the substance. If you wanted to check out the Little Women film, you can buy it or rent it. We'll have links in the show notes. And Vince, if somebody wants to connect directly with us, how should they do that? Yeah, there are two main ways you can connect with us. First is our email at thesubstancepod at gmail.com. And if you possibly want to be on the show, you can give us a quick and concise message on our phone line. That number is 913-703-3883. And we would love to hear from you. And if you like what we're doing and appreciate it and want to be a part of it, uh, we are on Cash App, and you can send us a, uh, a one-time gift at dollar sign the substance pod. Or if you want to be a more regular supporter, there is a link in the show notes to our anchor profile where whatever works for you, $1 a month, $3 a month, $5 a month, you can sign up to be a monthly supporter there as well. Follow us on social media. We are at the substance pod on Twitter and Instagram. And we are, uh, if you just type in The Substance Podcast on Facebook, you can find us there. Follow us to find out about shows coming up, giveaways, guests, things like that. Awesome. Well, thanks guys for joining this week, and we'll see you next time on The Substance. Um, so, perfect. Dope. That was fun. And, um...